welcome to 321 iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co founder of iRelaunch, and your host. Today, we welcome Richard Eisenberg. Richard is the managing editor of Next Avenue, the PBS site for People 50 Plus, and the editor of its Money and Work and Purpose channels. He is a frequent blogger for the site and aims to help people manage their personal finances, find jobs, switch fields, volunteer, and find purpose in their lives, all very pertinent to our discussion today. I love this career progression. His first job out of college was as a fact checker with Money Magazine. He was there for 19 years, making his way up the ranks and eventually being named executive editor. Later, he became the money and special projects editor at Good Housekeeping, and then the front page finance editor for Yahoo. He's also the author of two books focused on helping people manage their money. Richard, welcome to 321 iRelaunch. Thank you, Carol. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you. And I have so many questions I want to ask you, but maybe can we start by asking you to give us an overview of how long you've been covering specifically the retirement market or anything related to older Americans? Uh, Well, I've been with Next Avenue. I was part of the launch team back in 2012. So I've been doing this now for getting close to 10 years. Um, And then before that, as you say, I was at Money Magazine for a long time at Yahoo. And as you can imagine, a lot of the stories I worked on there were about retirement planning. Um, but mostly I would say they were aimed more at people in their probably 30s and 40s and 50s. And at Next Avenue, I'm focusing mostly on people in their 50s and 60s. Got it. Uh, So that's a perfect backdrop for um, our conversation. And I want to start pre-COVID and ask you what kinds of trends you were seeing before the pandemic maybe over the last 10 years, as far as career progression of Americans who are ages 50, 60, and older. And in that commentary, can you talk about what age were people retiring, if at all? And did you see any people unretiring after they retired? Sure. Uh, Well, there are lots of trends uh, that were going on before the pandemic, and some of them have changed, some of them have continued. So first, I guess I would say, uh, one of the biggest trends is the um, uh, is people choosing to work longer than in the past if they were healthy enough to do it and if their employers would let them do it or if they could find jobs that would let them do it. And I know we'll talk about that because age discrimination has been a continuing trend, uh, not just in the past 10 years, but before that. And even though there's laws on the books that say it's illegal, um, it's not really being enforced very well. So so age discrimination has been an issue in keeping some people who want to work after 50 from being able to get hired or keep their jobs. Um, we've also seen uh, a big increase in the number of people over 50 and even in their uh, 40s uh, starting businesses. And I think uh, and, and the Kaufman Foundation, which tracks this kind of thing, has found that to be one of, one of if not the biggest groups of people who are starting businesses. We hear so much about people starting businesses in their 20s, and certainly a lot of them do, but there are a lot of people doing it in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. Um, Some of them, I think, by choice, and some of them maybe by default, where they want to work and can't find somebody who hired them, so they say, well, I'll just do it myself. Um, And uh, we can talk about what's been happening with Social Security and Social Security claiming, but I will say that in general, and I can give you some numbers on this, uh, people have been... uh, 
claiming Social Security later than they used to, which is to say the earliest you're allowed to start claiming Social Security retirement benefits, even though you don't have to be retired to do it, is age 62. Um, and over the past few years, uh, certainly in the past 10 years, we've seen the percentage of people claiming at 62 going down and the percentage of people who start claiming it later going up, which to me suggests that more people are not retiring. Um, and then to your last question about unretiring. So at Next Avenue, we think of unretiring as meaning that you are not fully retired from work, which is to say you haven't stopped working altogether, but you are maybe working you know, when you want as much as you want uh, at your own schedule, or maybe you're volunteering uh, some of the time. And so that's what we refer to as unretirement. So it's, it's, a, it's partly retired, but it's not the traditional retirement. And let me just ask you a little more detail about that unretirement part. So are you suggesting then that when people unretire, it's not necessarily or even usually for financial reasons or financial strain? It's more a situation where it's like, wow, it's this isn't what I expected retirement to be or I'm bored or something like that. What are the motivations? So there, there it happens differently for different people. There are some people who think they're going to completely retire from work and then they find that they are bored or they've lost their identity and they're just not happy with where they are and they decide they've got to go back to work in some way because that's fulfilling and it gives them something to do every day. There are other people who unretire because they need the income and so they they don't want to continue doing the full-time work five days a week, eight hours a day or more, but they want to work sometime and they need to work sometime. So they're working part-time, um, possibly for the employer that they had before, but often for another employer or maybe on their own. So so some of it is financial and some of it is psychic, I would say. Mm -hmm. And And for the people who are working for financial reasons, do you think they're typically underemployed um, or like you're saying some go back and work for their old employer, but some don't. Any comments on that? Employers have not, have not done a really great job in trying to help their employees transition to retirement. And by that, I mean, very few big employers offer what are called phased retirement programs where, where they and the employee work at an arrangement so that the person stops working five days a week, but maybe works four days and then three days and then two days and that sort of thing. And yet a lot of employees say that's exactly what they want to do in retirement. They like their job. They like their employer. They just don't want to continue working all the time. And the employers just don't know how to deal with that, basically. And so you'll see that happening sometimes sort of in an ad hoc situation where the employee will come to the employer and say, can we work something out? And sometimes the employers will do it. And often the employers will say, no, that's not what we do here. Um, so so there's that. Um but then mm -hmm. for the other people who can't, won't work where they've been working or don't want to, uh, some of them are fortunate enough to find exactly the kind of work they want to do for exactly the number of hours they want to put in. But a lot of them can't. Um, either they can't find employers who will hire them um, because of their age or for some other reason. Um, and so they end up taking a job, but not the job that they want to do. Um, and maybe for not the number of hours that they want to do. And so you know, you see some people working at uh, department stores or, or coffee shops who, you know, are happy for the income, but that's not really what they want to be doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, we know a couple who became greeters at um, in Las Vegas at, mm -hmm. at a casino. And, mm -hmm. and I thought, 
that they were actually very happy doing that. That's what they wanted to do at that point. Um, it was a no stress job, uh, additional income, and it worked out for them. But I, I can see how that, that doesn't work out for everyone. You know, interesting commentary that you have about the lost identity, because we talk so much with people who are on career break, who go on career break at much younger ages, mm -hmm. because our society attaches so much importance to who we are as people in terms of what we do for work. When you're professionally disconnected for an extended period, you you really feel like maybe you're not even a complete person. So I can, the idea that this happens again in retirement and what is your elevator pitch once you retire, especially when you used to have a different one before? All of that is at play is in play here. Absolutely. You know, a lot of us, the first question somebody asks us when they meet us, uh, no matter what our age is, but particularly in your 50s and 60s, is what do you do? Um, and then if you aren't working full time or maybe at all, um, you may stumble on that and may not know how to answer that question. Or maybe you're doing something now that's very different than what you have been doing and you're not sure how to define that and how to explain it. And some people um, feel like there's a stigma attached to that and are a little embarrassed that you know, they used to be uh, a top executive and now they're doing something different and they feel like they've lost that identity. Uh, this happens often with um, people in the professions, lawyers and doctors who've you know, built their whole career based on not just the work that they've done, but also the status that they've achieved. And now that they don't have that anymore, they're a little at sea sometimes about who they are. You know, I remember um, the uh, reporter and author Ann Crittenden, who um, talked, wrote a book. And in the um, introduction to the book, she said that she had this like moment of recognition of where she sort of was in the world when she was on career break and someone came up to her and recognized her and said, didn't you used to be Ann Crittenden? Mm -hmm. Right. right. <laughs> so, yeah. and it kind of captures that whole thing. Um, the other comment that you made about um, mandatory retire or people, uh, companies not letting their employers work after a certain age, it made me think about mandatory retirement. Mm. That seems so antiquated to me now. With, yeah. so there are some, sometimes it's law firms or consulting firms that will have a mandatory retirement age at age 60 and 65. And it seems to be such a dated view, especially now that, you know, our life expectancy is so much longer. So um, are okay. you seeing any shifting there in terms of mandatory retirement ages either going away completely or becoming a later age? Well, there's less of it than there used to be, but it still does exist in some professions. The ones you mentioned for sure. Accounting is another profession where you often hear about people who are perfectly competent and able and interested and willing to continue doing their work. And they're basically told after 60 or 65, sorry, we can't keep you here any longer. And then if they're fortunate they're able to you know find somebody else who'll hire them and there are some firms that are that that we've written about at next avenue who um, are eager to hire those accountants because they know how good they are um so there are some opportunities for them but sometimes the doors get shut on people and this sometimes this happens in the medical field too where um the hospitals uh, or the owner of the practice feels like well gee and now that you're past a certain age Maybe, maybe you're just not up to it uh, the way you used to be before. And sometimes people have to prove themselves and sometimes they find that they, there's nothing they can do to change the mind of their employer about that. And it, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. You know, there are certainly some people who uh, aren't 
able to do some of the things at 65 that they could have done at 35, but that doesn't mean they can't do some things um, or do other things. Um, so, you know, every person is different and it's, uh, it's awful when an employer makes a judgment about people just based on their age. Yeah, and uh, we're, we're going to jump to COVID in a minute, but I'll just interject here that I wrote an article, um, gosh, maybe it was at least nine months ago now. Um, it was in the middle of the pandemic. Maybe it was a year ago for Harvard Business Review, talking about how in the country's moment of need, when these the health demand for health workers was so acute that all of the stigma and hesitations went out the window about bringing people back from retirement, back from career break, right back into the workforce. They reintegrated, they were productive again. And the idea was, let's keep that mindset when it's right. not our hour of need, because look what happened. So I, that that to me was a perfect example of what you're talking about. Well, I'm really interested to see what happens as we start getting out of the pandemic in the United States to see how employers react to that, whether they will continue doing what you just said they were doing, which is to bring back older workers who want to work um, uh, and, and either may need to work or just enjoy the work, um, or whether they're going to say, well, now we don't have to do that anymore, so we're going to go back to the way we used to be. Um, you know, the same is true in, in, in just the labor force. Before the pandemic, when the unemployment rate was very low, uh, very few employers would hire um, older people who are applying for jobs because they would say, well, we don't really need to hire them. We can hire somebody younger. Uh, there's plenty of them out there and they cost us a lot less money. Um, uh, and then, but now then things changed. And then when they started to need older workers, then suddenly they were more willing to hire them or to keep them working for them. Uh, I'm curious to see what's going to happen again with as the pandemic fades and the unemployment rate is low, whether they will want and hire and keep older workers or whether they won't. Now, there are some some fields where there's a labor shortage right now, and particularly in, in entertainment and, and travel and, and restaurants and that sort of thing. So it may be an opportunity for some older workers to get hired because, again, the employers need them. And, and to, to the mind of the employers, they're desperate, so they will take on these older workers. But I'd like to believe that we're going to see older workers getting hired in all professions. But frankly, I'm not optimistic about that. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, actually, let's just skip and go right into more conversation about uh, the COVID impact. Um, what about remote work? So, you know, COVID brought on work from home and suddenly now all employers are thinking about what, what jobs can be remote or permanently remote and now are hybrid arrangements of going back into the office. And I'm just wondering about if you think the opportunity to do rem remote work is helpful or not helpful to people over 50, 60, or 70. And that's put, just to put aside the COVID risk for a minute, uh, filter that part out. Yeah. Um, I, I think it can be helpful, but I think it's important to realize that not every profession and not every employer um, allows people to do remote work or even has... Have, whether that's even a possibility. I think I saw somewhere that only about 35% of workers are working remotely. Um, and a lot of them, you know, are just in jobs where you can't, you know, if you're a doctor, you know, yes, you can do some work by telehealth, but you've got to do a lot of work in person. Um, and certainly at, uh, you know, supermarkets and restaurants and things like that. So not everybody can, but those who can, uh, because they're in a field that allows it or their employer allows it, uh, I, I'm, I'm finding already that uh, 
being able to work remotely when you're over 50 can be a big plus. Uh, it saves on some costs, the cost of commuting, the cost of clothes, things like that. Um, it allows you to you know, spend more time at home and maybe see some friends and loved ones more than you would have otherwise because you were spending time in your car and now you're not having to do that. Um, you may be able to work at different hours than you did before. So now maybe you work night times or weekends just so the, the work gets done, but it allows you some other time during the weekday to do things that you really want to be doing. So it's been a big plus, I'd say, for those who've been able to do it. Uh, right now, the question for a lot of older workers and younger workers too is, um, well, you know, if I now have the option to work remotely sometime or all the time, or, uh, you know, how do I make that decision? And, or how do I talk to my employer about wanting to do it if the employer seems to want me to be in the office all the time? And I think we're going to see a lot of, of um, ticklish discussions going on about that. Yeah. Well, I feel like that conversation is going on with people in every age group. Uh, mm -hmm. So for sure, um, you know, I did hear um, initially when people were going to work from home and all of a sudden people were recognizing, wait a minute, that means I don't even have to live where I'm living right now. Right. And I was wondering if you have seen um, any statistics or, or any other um, discussion about whether um, the opportunity to, to work from home or work remotely uh, for some people, accelerated their move to the place where they ultimately wanted to retire. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm hearing that anecdotally. I haven't seen any data on this yet, but I know it's happening in some cases where people are moving to a different part of the country because it's less expensive or the weather's better or their family, their children live there. So that's been happening. But I've also been seeing, um, particularly in the financial world, financial services, employers saying, all right, you don't want to work in New York and you want to live uh, somewhere else, that's fine, but we're not going to pay you New York salaries anymore. We're going to pay you right. what, what people get paid where you live. And so some people are uh, surprised and disappointed that their pay is going to get cut because they're choosing to live and work somewhere else. Yeah, for sure. I also saw that uh, same discussion going on in the tech sector when all of a sudden companies, some tech sector being quicker to say you can live wherever you want. But by the way, we're also making that salary adjustment. So yeah, understand that. Um, and any uh, predictions about the working behaviors that you've seen um, ex exhibited by people in, in their 50s, 60s, 70s that you think might stick post-COVID? Um, well, let me first talk about the, the trends that I've been seeing about when people are choosing to retire during yeah. the pandemic. And, and, and we're seeing two very different trends. Some people have been adopting the life is too short mentality in the pandemic and basically saying, you know what, I've seen terrible things happening you know, in my own life and, and to my loved ones, and who knows what the future can hold. So because of that, I'm going to retire sooner than I had planned, or I'm going to retire now or this year, um, mm -hmm. so that I can enjoy my life while I can, if I assuming I can afford to do that. So that's one group of people. There's another group of people who are saying, you know what, because of the pandemic, I am now going to have to work more, longer for more years than I did before, particularly because when the pandemic started, the stock market went down a lot. It's come back quite a lot. But there are some people who's or a lot of people have lost their jobs and been furloughed, mm -hmm. so they don't have the income that they thought. 
And so they are saying, I'm going to retire later than I thought I was going to. And, uh, you know, I think, again, once the pandemic fades, it'll be interesting to see whether those trends continue to play out or not. My guess is we're going to see um, probably fewer people saying I'm going to retire earlier than I planned. And I think we're going to go back to the trend of seeing people retiring later than they had originally planned to. And, and partly for financial reasons and partly because people are finding that they like to work. Um, they, you know, they, the income is part of it, but also the idea of being with people, even if it's virtually. Um, and cause it can get lonely sometimes if you're not working at all and you're in your home and, um, pandemic or otherwise, people like to be around people. Yeah, we didn't even get into the isolation factor. But let me just react to what you're talking about in terms of unemployment. Uh, You know, well, you know, this the the recession, this recession was worse than 2008 in terms of aggregate job loss at its peak was around over 10 million jobs lost. Um, There has been some recovery from that. And now we see this very interesting um, sort of sector-based recovery that was first driving it to now become more broader based. Some of those industries that were hard hit are picking up in their employment too. Um, so, uh, but I also hear this this idea about yeah, uh, maybe my financial picture is not that stable right now. Either I'm a single older person or um, my spouse or partner. Um, their employment situation is much more tenuous than it used to be. We're not going to be dependent anymore on a single employer. We both need to be working. So some um, risk aversion there expressing itself in terms of both people working, if there's a spouse or partner. And then, you know, the, when as people get older and if they, even if they if they didn't have a spouse or partner to begin with or if they did and that person died, then they're on their own again and that changes the picture. That's right. Um, And and one thing I think we will see continuing after the pandemic is the high rate of of small business founding by people over 45. Um, That's something that we saw a lot in the year 2020, according to the statistics I've seen. And I expect we're going to see that continuing. And and these could be full-time businesses or they could be part-time businesses. Um, They could be uh, sometimes they're gig economy businesses where people are, um, you know, working as consultants out of their home. But sometimes they are people who've who've always wanted to do something and set up a business to sell a product or offer a service that they did or or make money from a hobby that they've had. So I think we're going to see that continuing. You know, it's interesting you mentioned this, and um, our regular listeners will know that this is a bit a bit of a pet peeve of mine. Uh, but the idea of romanticizing entrepreneurship and thinking about what does it mean to start a business? And it can be pretty risky. You you know, you have to be prepared to go for an extended period without any income at all, or with like unpredictable lumpy income, or even negative income, because you need to be investing in it. So there's some of that part of it. I think people see all the success stories, and they think it's going to be different than the reality. Well, I take your point. That's very true. Um, it is hard to start a business. It can be rough financially at the beginning if you, um, when you're starting out. And of course, a lot of small businesses don't succeed. So uh, I would say before anybody starts their own business, they go in there with their eyes open. You really need to look at your finances first and see, can I afford to do it? Where's the money going to come from? Uh, if I'm spending money to start this business, you know, how is that going to affect my retirement uh, savings and my retirement income in the future? Now, hopefully you will 
you know, have as much, if not more over time because the business will do well, but that doesn't always work out. So I do think people really need to take a look at that and be very careful about overspending on what it's going to cost and going into too much debt uh, at that time of your life. Exactly. Now, one exception here and something that might be a realistic proposal for people who are older, who are either going to be think they're going to be let go um, because they're older um, or are trying to figure out a way to work more flexibly is to offer to contract back to your original employer. And and we even tell people who are much younger, who are anticipating a future career break. So they're fairly early in their career. Um, instead of making a complete break to see if you have that option to contract back, but as a person who's more senior in the organization or has logged more years there, you do have this institutional knowledge that has some value to it more in some cases than others. And have you seen any, any um, people go in that route? I've definitely seen that happening. Um, I would say it's really going to be a case-by-case -case situation about whether the employer will see the benefit of doing that. Though some employers are going to say, that's great. I really don't want to lose you. You're so helpful. You know so much. Um, any way I can keep you for any amount, I'll be happy to do it. And then there are others who take the exact opposite view who say, well, no, if I do it for you, then I have to do it for everybody and I don't want to create a precedent. So I'm sorry, but I just can't do that. And I think it really depends on how open-minded the employer is. Yeah, good point. I wasn't thinking about the precedent-setting piece of that. Um, well, Richard, as we're um, wrapping up right now, I, I have a couple of questions I want to ask you before I ask you our final question that we ask all of our podcast guests. But um, we skipped over a little bit discussion about the actual age at which people retire or unretire. And do you see any patterns or trends about the for the people who unretire, how long are they quote, retired before they then make the unretirement decision? You know, it depends on the type of person. So there are some people who who think they're going to be fully retired, think they're going to not work at all. And after three months, six months, one year, they rise. It's not working out for them. Um, they need something to do. They need a schedule. And so for them, they'd say, okay, I'm going to go the unretirement route. I'm going to find something to fill my days, usually through part-time work, but sometimes through volunteering. Um, and then there are others who say that's the that's their plan. Their idea is that they're going to go from working full-time to working when they want, where they want, how they want, and that's going to be their unretirement. And and they realize their income is going to fluctuate and there may be some months where they're going to be earning a lot and others where they're going to be earning very little or maybe nothing. Um, and they're okay with that because that's the, their plan. Um, and, you know, these are things, this trend is something that we didn't see until a few years ago. Uh, you know, in the past it was either you're retired or you're not retired. And these days that's that's not the case. Uh, now, one of the differences, I think, in re explaining that is what's happening what's happened with pensions. So for many years, um, people knew that when they retired, they would get an, a pension from their employer so they could count on a certain amount of money coming in every month. 
many employers, private employers, um, have done away with pensions. They've stopped offering them. They've froze the pension that they had. So with every passing year, the chance that somebody is going to get a pension is lower and lower, which means the, the need for them to have some other money in retirement is greater and greater. Now, some people are very diligent and good about putting money into 401ks and IRAs. A lot of people are not. Uh, some people can't afford to. Some people just don't have the discipline to do it. Um, so I think the lack of pensions is leading to a greater trend for unretirement because they can't count on their employer's to provide the income that they need in retirement. You know, you mentioned pensions, and I almost feel like we have to define it for some of our younger listeners because it is, it's almost a relic. You know, I, I remember being a financial analyst. I remember we used to have to look for companies that had overfunded pensions for as a source of cash when then make them more appealing as a potential takeover target. Um, so there, the whole idea that companies put aside money for the retirement of their employees and to fund that for an extended period of time uh, was used to be very typical and now you hardly see it anymore. So just wanted to give that additional commentary to our listeners who may be wondering what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that that's a that's a that's great perspective and a, and a really uh, important point. You know, I I have talked to some people who have retired early, like maybe in their fifties or or in their sixties um, on the early side of sixty. You know, their um, their early sixties, and I've heard them say, "Yeah, I was retired for a while, and all of a sudden, after a few months, it was like, okay, it's Wednesday at eleven o'clock. What's happening?" Mm -hmm. You know. And also in combination with needing to have this elevator pitch of, well, what are you doing right now? And not being comfortable with just saying nothing you know? right, right. or whatever I feel like this day. Some people are very comfortable with that, by the way, but I think they're, they're more in a minority. Um, you know, we've seen some people take on adjunct lecturer roles mm -hmm. where they're teaching a single course or a couple of courses. And we see relaunchers do this too, who are younger, who are getting back to work as a, as a baby step almost back into the workforce. But it's almost like an internship because it's renewed on a semester by semester basis. Right. It pays very little, right. but you have a lot of schedule control and it's really interesting and it kind of keeps you up on your field. So have mm. you seen any of, of that kind of activity among retirees? Yeah, I have seen some of that. And I've also seen some interesting new startups that cater to to older people who want to do this sort of thing, and not necessarily in academia, but for example, there's a, uh, a company called Get Set Up, G-E-T-S-E-T-U-P, and it's all about older people teaching what they know to other older people, and it can be technology, it could be accounting, it could be uh, writing, whatever it might be, and so people sign up to teach the classes, and they also sign up to get the classes, so, so there's that, and you know, we're seeing a lot of other tutoring of some kind being done by older people online, um, sometimes uh, all across the world, often mentoring of older people, mentoring younger people, and sometimes doing it just as a volunteer, sometimes getting paid to be uh, uh, assisting other people. So um, yeah, I do think we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing more people going into the gig world. Uh, now, I think one thing people need to understand is if you're going to be uh, in the gig economy and, and your own boss, uh, while the advantages can be great in that you can earn some money and work at your own schedule, there are usually not any 
benefits, no retirement benefits, no healthcare benefits. So you need to look at that side of the equation too, to be sure that you have the insurance that you need in case you get sick or get disabled um, from a health standpoint, and also that you are saving for your own retirement and maybe even while you are unretired or in retirement, um, because people live longer lives these days than they used to. Right. You know, um, I'm, rem first of all, get set up. I have to check that out. I, I didn't know about that. And, I, and, uh, that's, that's super interesting. Uh, there, one of our other podcast guests was Charlotte Jap from oh, sure. Circle. Right. Um, and C I R K E L. And part, one element of that is that older people are mentoring younger people as an intergenerational. And the other way around. That's what I love yeah, about and the other Circle. way around. Yeah, yeah exactly uh, right. Charlotte was one of our next avenue influencers in aging. Every year we, we come up with a list of people that we feel are really doing some groundbreaking work and thinking differently about aging. And she was one of them in the past year because she says, you know what? A lot of older people have a lot that they can teach younger people. And a lot of younger people have things they can teach older people and they can learn from each other. And, and that's what's been happening. Yeah, that's great. Well, we'll call out to her that there's a shout out in this in this conversation to her. Yeah. Um, all right. So, Richard, we are um, rounding out the end uh, to the end of our podcast now. And I want to ask you the question that we ask all of our podcast guests. And that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today? Um, well, you know, I, I look at these things through the prism of people in their 50s and 60s. So let me talk about those for a moment. Mm -hmm. I think the first thing you want to do is figure out what are your skills that you want to use and what do you need to do to keep them sharp? And that may be in the field that you've been in, but it may be in a different field. So that's the first thing I would be telling people to do is think about your skills and, and are they up to date? And if they're not, how can you get them up to date? Then I think you should think about, well, what skills do I have that are transferable? So maybe I'm not going to continue working in the field I've done, uh, been in or not for the employer I've been in, but, but there are things I'm really good at. And so how can I use that somewhere else? And maybe it's at a nonprofit or maybe it's in another business. Now, the tricky part is convincing an employer that you should get hired by them when you've never been in that field before, never done that work before. But if you can prove to them, look... I've never, I haven't done this, but I'm really good at X, Y, Z. Here's what I've done. And that's the sort of thing I can do for you. You can often convince them that, oh, I see how that can be a transferable skill and that can be useful. So I think that's important. And then the last thing I would say is think about what gives you meaning and purpose in your life. What would give you meaning and purpose and what can you do to find meaning and purpose in your life? And sometimes that's getting paid to do it. And sometimes it's not. But I find at Next Avenue, often we find that our readers at that time in their lives are starting to say, well, you know, what can I do to be helpful to my community, to the world? Um, you know, something that I can, what legacy can I live, leave for others? And not necessarily a financial one, but just where, you know, people will say, well, he or she was here and made a difference. So I think that's something a lot of people want to think about as they're relaunching. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent advice. Thank you so much. And it's very much in line with the idea um, when when people are relaunching to figure out what you want to do all over again mm -hmm. and to really be specific about that. And that leads to specific um, ideas for what kind of upskilling or reskilling you need to do. So, so that's terrific. Thank you. Richard, how can our listeners find out more about your work at Next Avenue? 
Uh, well, thank you, Carol. Uh, you can find us at nextavenue.org, O-R-G. Um, we publish new articles every day, usually two or three stories a day uh, in the money and the work channels, which I do, but we also have channels on health and caregiving, of what we call living, which is everything else. So that's family and relationships and entertainment and technology and all kinds of things. Um, and we're trying to be helpful. And mostly these stories are geared to people in their 50s and 60s, but it's sometimes it's to help their millennial kids or their grandkids. And sometimes it's to help with their parents as well. So we hope people will check us out at Next Avenue. We also publish two free newsletters every week. People like to sign up for those. So that way it's a reminder of what we've been publishing. They don't have to remember to come back to our site. They get the newsletter and it shows you five or six stories we've we published recently. And, and we do a lot about relaunching and starting businesses and switching careers and finding jobs. So I think your listeners will find a lot of what we do very helpful. Great. Thank you for sharing that. And Richard Eisenberg, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Carol. And thanks for listening to 321i Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the CEO and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.